Good morning. Certainly, uh, Daniel's my father's name, so I can't live up to that name, <laughs> nor the Daniel of the Bible. Um, such a good study so far. I trust that we've all been blessed by it. So today we'll look at chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. So before we do that, let's um, look to the Lord in prayer. Oh, my uh, mic isn't on. I don't know if my singing would come through accidentally. That would be a problem. Is that better? Better now? All right. Sorry. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning you've given us and for helping us through this day. Lord, we need your help as we look into your word. You are that one uh, that has revealed this word to us, uh, that has uh, recorded it through your servants and um, we acknowledge that the only way for us to understand your word is to um, is for you to help us, Father, through your spirit. And we pray that as we read from it, that we would be um, enlightened. Help us to understand what uh, you have to say to us this morning. And uh, pray that you'd give us uh, help from your Holy Spirit to understand these things and apply them to our lives. Uh, We pray for the children downstairs as well, Father, that they would also hear from the Word, that they would understand, Lord, and Father, if there's any uh, there who haven't uh, believed, uh, that they would believe this morning as well. We commit our day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just reminded by dinner that that song was one of the favorite songs that one, the one before this last one was one of the favorites that Mrs. Ferguson loved, right? One glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. That's such a encouragement, isn't it? She is with the Lord. And uh, I'm sure that was an amazing meeting. All right. This chapter is long, so we will start reading it. Um, uh, I'll just say a few words just to sort of get the structure of the chapter so we understand how it's going. So um, it starts really, the beginning of the chapter starts with the end of the story in a sense. It starts with uh, Nebuchadnezzar. It's an it's really, it seems to be a, a direct account of Nebuchadnezzar and uh, whether Daniel copied it off of it or whatever, it doesn't matter. Nebuchadnezzar is the one speaking these or writing these words. It seems clear. And the first, it begins with the end and sort of we'll see, and then he goes to the backstory, and then he ends, um, ends with... Um, um, well, there's a dream 
and then an interpretation of the dream, a fulfillment of the dream, and then, you know, his take on it. All right, so let's read chapter 4, start starting at verse 1. So verse 1 to 3, sort of this introductory, what I'm saying, like the end. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the peoples, nations, and men of every language and that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So he starts with this praise and this um, acknowledgement of the Most High God. Then, verse 4 starts his recollection, or the backstory as it were. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners came in and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen, along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. <clears throat> the tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was the food for all. The beasts of the field found shelter under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all the living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the vision in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, the birds from its branches, Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it. In the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven period periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. 
This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So that's the dream. And then follows Daniel's interpretation. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree and what you saw became large and grew strong, whose height reached the sky and was visible to all the earth and whose whole foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion is to the end of the earth. And that in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and, let yet, and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with it a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with the dew of the heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you may that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he chooses. And in that it was commanded to lead the stump with the roots of the tree and your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O King... May my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. And and so that's the interpretation and then the fulfillment. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great with which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field and you will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass until you recognize that the Most High is the ruler of the realm of mankind and bestows 
it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven from mankind and he began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his is dominion, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All that the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven for all his works are true and his ways just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Alright, that was a long reading, but I think it is good to read the Word of God and um, try to um, understand it as we read it. So we'll just go back through and just pick up a few points that I'd like to uh, bring out from these verses. Alright. So, it, it seems to me fairly clear, at least for me it is, uh, but, you know, there are um, respected Bible uh, scholars, perhaps even in here, that I don't necessarily agree about this, but I, um, I, I wouldn't be dogmatic, but I believe this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, right? I think that it sounds to me like he he became a believer. I mean, he believed God, he acknowledged God, and um, um, we'll see some of the reasons why I think that, but, you know, regardless, he acknowledges truths about God, um, he acknowledged the sovereignty of God, and um, we can learn from that regardless of what you uh, feel about that. But, um, the, the, the most important point, I think, is that if you look, you step back for a second and you see where, you know, this is really the culmination of God's dealings with Nebuchadnezzar, right? He was, this is the last chapter where he's, you know, he's uh, ruling in this, you know, in, in this book. Obviously, that's not the end of his rule, but from this chap, from this book's perspective, this is the last chapter of God's dealings with him. And, and you can see, see from the last few messages and how we've read through it that God was trying to reach Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was, you know, described by God as the that the head of gold, right, on the statue of that that uh, you know is talking about the kingdoms of the world, right? And the he was the 
most prominent, the mo- you know, by even secular accounts, the most uh, powerful of all the kings of Babylon. And based on that statue, he was the most powerful king of the most powerful kingdom, right? And it, because it says that in the, in that that all the other that kingdoms that came after it were inferior, right? That's the word it uses. They were inferior. To it. So, so God used him to judge Judah. You know, use this secular man to judge Judah, and and in God's sovereignty, He's able to do that as well as try to reach Nebuchadnezzar for Himself, right? And so He was dealing with Nebuchadnezzar on a very personal level as well, and you know, through this statue and through the visions, you know, this is not the first vision He's had. He had one in chapter two as well. We remember, and. All through it, he is trying to bring Nebuchadnezzar to an understanding that that yet, as much as he is part of, um, as much as he is that head of gold, that all that he has is um, is given to him, right? So if you look at chapter 2 and verse 37 and 38, you know, when he had talked about that head of gold, he said, you know, he says that, you know, the verse ends with, you are the head of gold. But in the same verse, he says, God has given the kingdom. God has handed them over to you and he has made you ruler. I don't think based on what we read here, Nebuchadnezzar really remembered that part of the verse. He remembered the, yeah, you are the head of gold part, but I don't think it really sunk in that God has given it to him, right? And so I think it's important for us to remember, like Nebuchadnezzar's lesson was given to him, that God is sovereign overall. I, I love the the verses that our brother Josh read at the end of our previous meeting in Isaiah 45, where he said, "I am the Lord, and there is none else." Right? And he says, "I turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God; there is no other. I have sworn by myself." The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Right? So we have a God who is above all gods. Right? And Nebuchadnezzar needed to come to that recognition. That, you know, he might want to be worshipped in some aspects. He might have been, you know, the king who, you know, as it were, had dominion over a large part of this earth, but yet he acknowledges, he starts acknowledging here in verse 3, that there is, his kingdom would fail, but there is a kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom, and that that a, a kingdom whose dominion would never end, Right? And then, 
we see at the end of the chapter what what does he learn in verse in in verse thirty two right it says and this is important it says at the end of that period Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes I Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever right so he came to that point the God brought him to that point where he is acknowledging that there is one who is greater than him and it says that he's the self-existent one right in verse in the beginning of that right he's the self-existent one that he's on an eternal throne that all the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing right that humans and 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 man are nothing in a, in the sense of where god is and where where man is and he will be preeminent and he will have unquestioned authority so all these things that maybe Nebuchadnezzar thought he had on his own he has to come to a realization and he did come to a realization that they weren't his that they were given to him that god had given these things to him and at the conclusion in verse 36 sort of illustrates that he actually got it right it says at that time my reason returned to me it says and my majesty and splendor were restored to me right somebody gave it back it's not of his own it wasn't he didn't grab it back he didn't earn it back he didn't fight for it back it was restored to him it was given back by somebody who owns that right and also that right surpassing greatness was added to me right majesty and splendor were restored to me surpassing greatness was added to me so we know here that god is that one who is above all and so when we look at the world around us and we see things out of control in a sense in our heads we have to remember that god is all in all right god is sovereign from that time onwards and even till now god is sovereign and that um you know there's in in our minds we would like to be and this is sort of getting into my next topic that we learn from this but it's it's this we would like to be like there's that uh, famous poem that was made famous in a movie uh invictus the last words of that thing uh, of that poem says i am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul right and that is just not true the god the king of the universe right jehovah is sovereign over all right we just we we need to acknowledge that we need to humble ourselves and come to that point now the next uh, and pretty much the the most um i think the thrust of this this chapter is is based on the last verse uh of this chapter where he says um where Nebuchadnezzar says for all his works are true and his ways just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride 
right? So that that's really one of the big thrusts of this chapter is that God taught Nebuchadnezzar not just that he was king and sovereign over all, but that he had pride and that he had to humble himself, right? And they're quite connected, right? So we see words like this, which I don't know if you've ever sat down and, and said these kinds of words. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at, at, um, uh, where is that? Sorry. It says, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace, right? I don't know if you've self-described yourself as flourishing, but this is giving you an insight into the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, he was at ease and flourishing, right? And then in verse uh, 29, it says, um, 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Right? He was filled with pride. And you'd say, ah, that's Nebuchadnezzar. He had all that stuff and he had a lot of things to be proud about, right? He, you know, it's, it's his vice and it's not mine. And right there you've already sinned, right? With the sin of pride. So pernicious, right? So um, deceptive and, you know, the the... We know that even the angelic realm was affected by pride, right? It says, uh, this is the verse that talks about Lucifer, right? It says, I will raise my throne and I will sit on the mount and I will ascend and I will, I, myself, I, me. When you start focusing on these, right? And people have said, oh, I is the middle, the center of the word pride, right? It's it's true. If you're so focused on yourself and so focused only on inwardly and trying to raise yourself above everybody else, it becomes a problem. And God is multitude of verses, multitudes of verses, because it's a such a problem where... God says, you know, in Proverbs, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the needy than to divide the spoils with the proud. And so, you know, and and on and on. There's many, many verses that speak to pride being a problem. Right, and you can be proud of being humble. Right, and so as we do, as we live our Christian lives, it's always good to think about this. Right, why am I doing these things? Right, you know, it's good to study hard. You know, you're those of you are in school, study and and learn and do well. But why? Why are we studying? Or, you know, it's good to give, to give to the poor, to give to those who are needy, to give to brothers and sisters who have a need, 
to be hospitable, but what is the motive? Is it to puff yourself up, to look better than others, to 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 have no, to, to have more knowledge, to win an argument? It's, it's not right. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Somber words, right? That we have to bring ourselves with a heart of humility. With a heart of humility, you, you know, you look at what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Sitting, you know, nothing really good happens on the rooftops. I'm glad GGC does not have a rooftop, nor my house. If you look through the Bible, there's not a lot of good things that happen on rooftops, right? If you remember the most, you know, obviously, the I, at least for me, the first thing that came to mind was David on the rooftop, right? Looking over when he was supposed to be at war and sees Bathsheba. But there's many, many accounts of this. There's only a couple, actually, that are good. Idolatry at the rooftops, murder on the rooftops. I mean, but, you know, there's there was the time that Rahab hid those spies on the rooftop or Peter had that vision on the rooftop. I mean, there's a couple of good ones. But the point is that you're at this place, you're you're laid back, you're enjoying your um, accomplishments. <laughs> and um, there's a there's a parable of a rich fool in, in, in Luke chapter 12 that's that's an interesting one. I won't uh, turn there um, um, but the, the, I mean the, the main story is that you know this this uh, man comes to comes to the Lord and asks about uh, his you know inheritance and and you know, equally dividing the family's inheritance, and God doesn't address that, and He gives this parable of this man who had plenty, right? And the the parable is really about covetousness, right? He had plenty, and you know, he was he had lots of crops, and and his you know the, the problem was his problem was he didn't know where to store his crops. He had so much he couldn't, and so his solution was and is worrying about this in a sense, and he's like you know he reasoned with himself, and he said and he says all this tear down these barns and build new ones, you know, and accumulate more of this, right? And that was the that was the thrust of that parable. But there's a sort of a, a, a another part to it, right? In that that man was affected by pride, which is because, you know, again there you'll see, I will... I will tear down the barns and I will store my grain and my goods and, you know, you'll see the same kind of theme, right? As soon as you see that, you see, okay, this man had pride, right? And God judged him. As for this very night, your soul is required of you, right? He didn't realize that his very life was in the hand of God. And he was thinking about all these things, right? And you have, um, and what? So, what are we supposed to do with this? You know, we, we have, you know, in this season, we are, um, 
we see that this pride can actually be connected to thanksgiving, right? So instead of storing up all his resources, he could have thought about giving some away to bless those around him, right? And if he had done that, there would be thanksgiving from him and from those around. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians, right? It says, God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance of every good deed. Right, so you have an abundance and you you have an abundance of every good deed so that you're supplying the needs of the saints. And what is the result of that? That there is thanksgiving to God. Right? And so pride can result in lots of things. Pride can result in being unthankful. <coughs> not just yourself, but those around you. So may we be we those that um, confess our pride, laid aside by God's help. Think of God, right? Think of God. God is higher. God is that preeminent one. God is above all. He's the judge and final authority. I mean, all these things brings you to your proper place. Relative to God, God is here and I'm here, right? And and you start losing focus on yourself and you see God, you see the Lord Jesus Christ, you see that He is King of Kings and He is Lord of Lords and it, it I think it can have a transforming impact on how we live our lives, right? We, you know, when we were at, um, at the retreat, we're talking about looking to Jesus, right? Looking to Jesus will cure pride. Because He is all in all. He saved us. Sinners. Not worthy of, you know, we're destined for hell. He saved me. He saved you. And so, it's so important for us to not be pride. It is one of the deadliest of sins. I'll just um, think we're almost out of time. Just a couple more points that I think can be brought out regarding this chapter. One, we talked about the sovereignty of God, right? And that lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned and that we ought to learn. And very connected to that is pride, Right and how we ought to judge that in our lives and uh, humble ourselves before God. The other um, part here that struck me was the patience of God, right? The patience of God. He was given this, you know, well, we see the patience of God throughout, right, through these several chapters of God slowly working in Nebuchadnezzar's life to show him something about himself. And certainly that didn't necessarily work. And then finally we come to this point in this chapter where he touches him, right? He touches him with this madness, this this issue, you know, they call it, uh, I don't know, what was the word? There's a medical term. 
boanthropy, right? But the point is, he touched him so that he was humiliated. He was in the fields, right? He was. You see him in his bed, and then you see him on the roof, and then now you see him in the fields with the beasts. And imagine the humiliation of somebody who is at that level of majesty and splendor and dominion as far as the earthly scheme is concerned, being cut low, right? Just like that tree, cut. But praise be to God that he wasn't cut completely, right? That stump remained. That stump remained from which he could be restored. And God is patient in that way, right? And even even in this he was given he was given a chance. Daniel said, "Break away now from your sins and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, right? Break away from your sins. God is showing you these things. Break away your sins." And he gave him a year to do what he was told to do. 12 months it says, right? And he's, you know, it he, maybe he had some thing right at the very beginning, but then it, you know, as usual, it just went away. And he is back to thinking more of himself than he ought in pride. But God is patient towards us. And so my Question today to you, if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, God is being patient to you, right? The reason you are here is not an accident. The reason that you're not dead and met eternity is not an accident. You are, God is delaying, right? God is patient with you. And don't account that patience as as something you take for granted, right? There will come judgment, the Bible says. There is going to be judgment. And so, this is the opportunity. Today, don't delay. In this case, 12 months were given. You might not have 12 months, you might not have an hour. So, it's very important to... Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and realize that you're a sinner, that God again is this one who is holy and righteous and perfect, and that you can't be with him, be near him, but he has made a way for you to approach him. Right? And so I think that this is a, a great testimony. I hope you have a testimony like this each one of us, of how God has shown himself to you. So I think Nebuchadnezzar didn't, you know, one of the reasons I think this is that he became a believer was he didn't need to write this, right? He didn't need to, you know, he said, it says it, he made a decree about this. I mean, this is, this is not... Um, Exalting to him, it's it's pretty humiliating and and embarrassing that he had he was brought low to be like a beast. Now it's not something I would put in my you know obituary, 
like, you know, I was an animal at one point for, you know, seven years. But he was doing that to show, to declare, because he was so caught up with, with, he was caught up with his power and his might, but then his realization that there's somebody even greater than him led him to this point, right? And so each one of us, right? Let's get an appreciation for who God is. We might not be Nebuchadnezzar's and we, not, we might not be kings of huge kingdoms, but us getting an appreciation of who God is. Right? In chapter 2 it says, Dan, this is Daniel, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for the wisdom and power belong to Him. It is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. And so that's the God we serve. The one who we can rest assured, no matter what turmoil is going around us, what whether it's personal in our lives, or whether it's worldly, Issues you you know you read the news and it seems like turmoil, but God is that one who removes kings and establishes them, right? And we can trust that He is in control. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come into this world and shown us more of you. We thank you that you are that eternal one. You are that one whose name will be blessed forever and ever. And we thank you, Father, that you control everything. Every minutia of our lives, Lord, the things that each one here in this room is going through, Father, these things are not unknown to you. We thank you you care and that you are involved we thank you that those here who are your children are are just loved and uh, that you are watching over us in such a special way. We pray that each one here would know that. Father, if there's anyone who hasn't come to know you as their Lord, that, they're, that Jesus is Lord and you as their God, that today would be the day of the salvation, that there would be no delay, there'd be no waiting for another opportunity. This would be the time to make that choice, to repent and to follow you. We pray that you'd be with us the remainder of this day. Thank you for the food that you've provided downstairs. May we enjoy it, enjoy our fellowship together. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.